the blast from our past network. Talking back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back. This is the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim. It's ninja time again. And unfortunately, Dean will not be joining today. He was assassinated by a ninja. He was poisoned, actually. They actually smoke-bombed him, then poisoned him. Um, and there were a, a whole bunch of them. So it's not his fault. Uh, he actually fell ill last minute, so he couldn't make it. Luckily, we had a guest lined up. So it's not just going to be me talking about this movie. We have one half of the Remote Takes podcast. He also goes by the name Tony. Tony, welcome. Thank you for joining. Uh, you're yeah, thanks for having me. You're saving this one in a way. Sure. Uh, that remains to be seen. I might be assassinating <laughs> the episode. <laughs> hey, right on. Yeah, you're getting into it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, okay, Tony, I have to start off with a very serious question here, okay? I want to know what level of ninja you are. Because Dean is level orange, and I'm level three. And we need to know what level you are before we can continue. This is probably the most important question I'll ask you this entire episode. Oh, it most definitely is, and I already know the answer. I think I'm level turtle. Turtle? That's... Whoa. Yeah. That's pretty good. I actually yeah. think you're past both of us, both me and Dean. I don't know if it's past. I think it's I think it's on the level of you guys, um, if I'm being um lucky you know so but yeah i would say i'm my ninja level is turtle <laughs> that's it that's a good level i strive to be turtle one day uh, i do have a way to level you up though if you'd like to get leveled up to uh turtle i don't know turtle four i think that turtle four comes after turtle but feast your eyes on this and you will immediately be leveled up it is the magical Talking back, oh my gosh. Ninja Sword. You get to see it That's amazing. in person. Sometimes, oh, there. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's that's what makes it magic. It, this was forged in secrecy by both the Koga and the Iga at the same time. They had a truce. And sometimes, if you shake it hard enough, you can hear the batteries that they placed in it shaking around. <laughs> That's amazing. So that you are now leveled up. Um, I've seen it before, so I can't, you can't level up twice from it. So I've already got my level up from it, but 
Fair. All right. Well, Tony, you had heard that we were going to be covering this movie, Ninja Scroll. I should say what we're uh, we're doing here, Ninja Scroll. And you wanted to be a part of it. So, what's your history with Ninja Scroll? What like what is it about this movie that um, that you love so much? For me, it's a lot of nostalgia. Um, when I was a kid, anime was still pretty rare, actually, to like encounter and find. I remember like going to Hollywood Video, I think here in the states, uh, and you would go in and they just have random anime episode videos or random movies here and there. And I would say Ninja Scroll is the first DVD anime film that I bought. And I believe to make it all the more confusing at the time, it was published by a company that went by manga, (laughs) which was was utterly confusing to me because I was like, isn't, isn't that comics? I don't I don't understand. Um but it it is the first DVD like the first one that I personally bought and was able to go home and watch and this is after I moved in with my dad and kind of had more freedom to to buy and watch things that I wanted to and wow was I not ready for this. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So many ways. Um but yeah, it's it's a really good film. It feels um, like a video game to me. Um, it, it it in very good ways. Um, I feel like there's a lot of bosses uh, within and a lot of cool battles. And the animation was mind blowing. And it does have that like '90s anime aesthetic. And I don't know how to fully describe it, but it's like a little bit longer faces. Um, the eyes are a little bit wider on on some of the people. And it just, I mean, it just sends me back um, to, by the time I bought this, I want to say it's around the year 2000 or 2001. Um, But this is a 93 picture. But yeah, it just, it brings me straight back to that time in my life and kind of having my mind blown. Um, So yeah, I just, I wanted to be able to come on if you'd have me and be able to gush and discuss this movie because it, it actually has probably been a good 10, 15 years since I watched it until last night. So, yeah, I'm, I think our uh, stories are kind of similar there. Like, I, I also didn't really see it until about 2000. I think that's the year that I did see it. I was in com- uh, computer animation, and, you know, one of the guys was like, Have you seen this movie? And I was like, No. And they're like, Well, you have to see this movie. It's incredible. So, yeah, the animation just blew me away. And it wasn't like my introduction to adult, like orientated animation. Um, I would say uh, Ion Flux was. I had seen some episodes of Ion Flux previous to that, but I, I mean, I fell in love with that show just because it was so cool. Like seeing cartoons for adults, it was this brand new world, but there wasn't much of it. So when Ninja Scroll came out, and and you know, to be honest with you, Ninja Scroll. I don't know the timing, but it might have come out before Ion Flux. I just saw Ion Flux first. But right. Ninja Scroll, like it, it was one of those groundbreaking um animes that introduced, you know, the West to this type of animation from Japan. You know, you have obviously Akira and Ghost in the Shell, but this is right up there with them. And and it was 
you know, my entry into that. So yeah, I just saw it and my mind was blown. I I just wanted so much more. And, you know, I didn't, I just, I didn't know animation could be like that. The animation is so great. It still holds up. They're still doing things in it that sort of blow my mind, you know, especially for the year it came out. I'm just thinking that looks so great. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with the limitations they would have had. So they had to figure out like unique ways to make things look cool. And my goodness, um, does this movie ever look cool? So yeah, uh, really, really fun movie. Um, I watched the English dub back in the day. Like I had a VHS rip. I think I, I might still have it. Uh, don't tell the authorities, but it's in my basement somewhere. <laughs> but it was the English dub. So, you know, for the the walkthrough today, I picked up the DVD and I got to watch the subtitled version for the first time. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, I don't think there's too many differences, but I think you do get a bit more detail with the subtitled version. So that was fun to watch. I think the sub versus dub argument that runs in, um, you know, the anime um, fandom uh, is probably, I don't know, better. Like, I think subs are probably better the older you go back and the dubs have gotten progressively better. I have never seen the sub for this, so actually I'm very interested in your perspective and I'll need to go back and watch um, the sub, but... Yeah, the dub is all right. I do appreciate one of the voices in the cast. He's the voice of Bato in Ghost of the Shell. Of course, I don't remember the guy's name. I just know it's Bato from Ghost in the Shell, and I really love that character. Yeah. So um, that's the villain in this film. Oh, Gemma. Um, yep, Gemma. And uh, yeah, I I just think though, you know, as 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 you go back farther, unless they've redone the dub they can be absolute trash. But I think they've gotten so much better. And when I'm watching cartoons mainly, I, I'd prefer to not read, to just be able to enjoy all the animation goodness, Same. Um, being able to turn my brain off. But this is one of those films that I actually do think I'll go back and, and watch uh, subbed. So, uh, Yeah, the voice acting in the sub was much better than the dub. That was one thing that definitely stood out. While the story, I don't think you're missing too much. Just that the quality of like the actor that they originally got right. for the original movie was just so much better than, you know, a lesser voice actor that they just throw some money at so they can get this released in North America. But right. And and for every like Genma voice actor you have, and he's very prolific and he's been through, you know, he's very, very good. You do get someone who's, um, if I'm pronouncing it right, Jubei, who's eh, kind of forgettable to me in the in the English dub. So, you know, and again, as you go far back, it it just it's like that. But you might not even get a good voice actor in the mix. So, you know, um. so I say Jubei as well. Um, it's pronounced both in the movie. Some some people say Jubei and some people call him Jubi. Um, you said Genma and I said Gemma and I know it's spelt Genma, but all that I hear them saying is Gemma. So I don't even know what, like what his fucking name is. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> At this point. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> he has a first name too. Cause I think that's yeah. like his, 
at least his, the surname that they exactly that that he goes by, um, which yeah. I think is reversed in that culture where that's his first name and the uh, yes, like the surname is the name they go by while the first name would be equivalent to our surname. And now I'm talking in circles. That's all and, good. I think I led you yeah. in that circle, <laughs> but <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean this movie really cool characters, lots of action. Rewatching it this time, you know, I, I'm the same. I probably haven't seen it in 15 years. It really played out like a mystery this time for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got some heart to it, which I always like. There's a little bit of romance, incredible animation, amazing score. Incredible. Oh, yeah. uh, and the movie's very rewatchable because the plot is actually pretty difficult to figure out if you only watch it one time. You kind of have to watch it multiple times to really understand what's going on. And at an hour and a half, you know, the movie just flies by. So I would definitely consider this movie a gem. Same. Uh, There's actually even some similarities between what we covered last month, Shinobi Heart Under Blade. It's like a movie about Super Ninja. You know, there's a small romance going on. There's even a common character between the two, uh, Kagero. She's in both. Same character, same poisoned kind of body character. So, man, Super Ninja are just a lot of fun to watch. So <laughs> there's a lot of fun to be had in this movie. Yeah, totally agree. So it was released in 1993, as we mentioned. The only financials I could find were that it was released in the UK in one theater for 12 weeks, and it made $1,073. But It was released in Japan, so I'm sure it made a bunch more. I just couldn't find any stats on that. And I read that it was more popular in North America than Japan. Yes. Which is odd. In my light research, I read that too, that there was it was not as well received as it was over here. Yeah, so I'm sure it made like a lot of money in the theater and probably more so in VHS and DVD sales. I mean, I just bought it, you know, on DVD. So it's still getting money. There's still, it's still coming in. Now it was written and directed by Yoshiaki Kawajiri and he's done Vampire Hunter D. I imagine you've probably seen that. I love Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust, which is his next film after this. It's so good. And it's up there in my memory banks is like another core memory of my anime experience. Yeah, that movie's um, fantastic. I love that one. Mm-hmm. He also did Wicked City, and he also worked on the Animatrix, directing Program, and he wrote Program as well as World Record, which are both really cool entries into the Animatrix. You know, there is no uncool entry into the Animatrix, but right. Program was exceptional. And he also created a Ninja Scroll TV series. Mm -hmm. Music by Karu Wada. And he worked on Battle Angel, Samurai 7, Kashurn Sins. And he worked on a couple of the Kingdom Hearts video games. Oh. I thought the music in this movie really, really helped to make me feel like I was there. Like I was part of it. Which is something that obviously could be missed with an animation right it might be hard to connect with the movie because it's a cartoon the music was what kind of drew me in and just made me feel like i was there with them it was a a beautiful score 
I was a big fan of the opening too. Um, just kind of how that score just kind of, I don't know, felt very epic and just brought you boom right into the movie. It reminded me of like, if um, you've ever seen sort of the stranger, the music in the beginning, it's just, it just gets you right in there. And I felt that with, with this rewatch of Ninja Scroll, just like it sucked me right in. So, yeah, that was, it's very good. I mean, it's definitely something I would go back and just listen to because it's so cool. Now, before we really like dig into the story, I would like to give some context to the story and the spoiler alert here, I'm going to be giving some stuff away that we actually don't learn until the like near the end of the movie. But I think it'll be easier to lay out the story if I can just explain some stuff ahead of time. So I'm going to do that. So the story takes place in the Edo time period in Japan, which is roughly the 1600s to the 1860s. The Tokugawa shogunate are in power, but the Yamashiro clan are looking to overthrow. The Yamashiro clan mines gold in secret and plans to send the gold to the Shogun of the Dark, who plans to use the gold to buy weapons to overthrow the Tokugawa shogunate. Now the ship transporting the gold runs aground. They'll need a new ship to pick up the gold and continue on. But in the meantime, a team of super ninja called the Eight Demons of Kamon, who are part of Team Gold, they ride out at night and poison the water of the nearest village, making it look like this town has a plague so that people will avoid the area altogether. And that's going to help the gold remain hidden until the second ship can arrive to retrieve it. And the eight demons are now basically patrolling this region, killing anyone who comes too close to the pier in an attempt to protect this gold. So I wanted to lay that out there because I think it's just going to, it's going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. Now, cool intro to the movie. We hear the sound of wind we hear the sound of water. We hear birds. We meet Jubei, who's the lead character. He's crossing a bridge, and he's attacked by a couple of men. So, Tony, what did you think of this intro? Is this where the movie grabbed hold of you for the first time? Yeah, I would say, especially with character design, like the surprise that you kind of get out of this battle. Um, first, just with like the sort of gun-esque um hand arm thing that flung down and then to find out he's super small and it's like he's like in a little wooden mech like i mean you know representing a body um yeah it sucked me in with its with its design already and i think that's something that that shines through the rest of the movie is the design for all the unique you know, ninjas or even just characters within the film. I think it, they had very strong designs. Um, so yeah. And then the battle um, between them and how nonchalant uh, Jubei is, you know, um, love it. Yeah. I, I'm the same. Yeah. It kind of grabbed me right away. It's really, you know, cool way to do it where, where Jubei is just kind of walking and these guys, they're attacking him. Um, I think they're like mad at him or they're like laughing at him because he only charged someone 20 pieces of gold. 
to like do a job for them when the job should have been worth 300 and Jubase just like doesn't matter the gold doesn't matter i'm just trying to help people you know and that's what they could afford so you learn right away that he's very honorable and then these guys want to fight him and he just kind of he's got this rice ball he's eating and he throws it up in the air and he beats both these guys before it lands you know before he catches it again so it all happens really fast but there's a lot in there in that moment of the ball going up and it coming down and yeah this guy who looks like a normal guy not jubei but one of the other guys looks like a normal guy jubei slices at him and he to re- you know escape he jumps out of the body which turns out just to be a wooden body it was really really neat um really cool intro you know when you mentioned him throwing up the rice ball it reminds me of uh snake pliskin and um he doesn't he do something like that in both escape from new york and escape from a terrible movie whatever the sequel is where he throws something up well it doesn't air doesn't he have to make like basketball shots and like three three shots in like 30 seconds or something like that isn't that a thing i think that's it i think there's a part two where he throws like a beer can or he throws something up in the air and ah I don't know. It's a memory because I remember, again, seeing that movie way too young. But I remember just like the nonchalant of, oh, I'm going to toss this up in the air, do something badass, and then catch it. And it's done or before it lands. It might have been L.A. I don't have a lot of memories of L.A. for obvious reasons. but For good reasons. I think it was (laughs) L.A., sadly. I think it was L.A. (laughs) That movie should be forgotten in time. Yeah. Unless you like it. And if people like it, that's cool too. Yeah. Go ahead and like it. It's cool to like things. Yeah. Everybody's allowed to like things. Especially if it's, you know, Kurt Russell's only writing credit ever. It's Kurt Russell. I mean, he's great. (laughs) I love love Kurt Russell. It's John Carpenter. I love John Carpenter. Maybe I just need to rewatch it. I don't know. It's been a while. (laughs) I saw it in theater and it it hurt me. Hurt my feelings. It'll hurt you more. (laughs) (laughs) It's not done. So a band of Koga Ninja have set out to investigate this plague. We see them moving through the night in classic ninja style. They are leaping rapidly through the forest with the full moon in the background. This is always something I love seeing in ninja movies. We've seen it a bunch this year in our walkthrough. Uh, it's, it's just great to see. But they are met in the forest by Tasai and Yuri Maru who are two of the demons. So, Tony, this is our first taste of the demons in the movie. What did you think of this battle, if you even want to call it a battle? Yeah, more of a massacre. Yeah, exactly. Um, It was absolutely insane. Again, it's just an introduction to how cool these designs of these characters were with this big rock guy that throws a boomerang metal sword. And then uh, the other guy who uses these little wires and is electrocuting people with them. And it just, I don't know. It, it's a really cool video game contained in this. And I'm not sure how they never made a video game that related to this. That's like, you know, a couple of love, like, even if it's just interesting boss battles, like, they're they're so cool. I thoroughly enjoyed this, and yeah, just absolutely brutal though. <laughs> so it, it's very brutal. 
yeah you're getting bodies like cut in half um uh, Tasai, the guy who can make his skin like rock, he's huge. He's got the boomerang sword. He's he rips this guy's arms off, and then he's drinking the blood from one of the arms. And man, it's just uh, it's it's wild. Like when you've never seen anything like adult orientated animation before, this is like <laughs> they really throw you into the deep end with this movie. Yes, they definitely do. And that is seared into my mind and not even in a negative way, but just the gulping. Yeah, it's the gulping. Yeah. And and just kind of like, what am I watching? Like, you know, is is he a monster? Like what what is going on? Um, And also the guy that he rips the arms off of, not that he's presented as a main character, never thought he was, but I definitely thought he'd be around for more than five minutes with mm. like how much time they gave him up front. So I think that was pretty expertly done to introduce a character that seems to be a leader. Um, and then to just brutally rip him apart without him doing anything cool, you know, um, <laughs> kind of showing you that no one is safe in this movie. Yeah. So, yep. So there is a lone survivor from that Koga clan. It is Kagero, and she is taken by Tasai, and he wants to get to know her better. So he takes her back to his place, and he's licking her, and he's kissing her, and he's doing other things that she didn't consent to. People can use their imagination. But we see Jubei sitting in the shadows in the, like, the building that they're in. And he tries to help by throwing a knife into Sai's eye so that he can escape with Kagero. Tasai chases down Jubei and starts beating him up. He wasn't happy with the, the dagger in the eye and he wants some payback. Now, I love how Tasai kind of like rolled up on Jubei because he comes through a brick wall and he's, mm-hmm. got, he's got this sword, this like double-bladed sword but he rolls up in a ball like Sonic would or, or like a gor- a Goron from, you know, Tears of the Kingdom Zelda. or Breath of the Wild. Like, they roll into these balls, but the, the blades he's got, like he's holding the sword on his lap and the blades are sticking out on both sides. And he just rolls right through this giant brick wall, rolls up on Jubei and he's like, it's payback time. And he just starts pummeling him. Um, now, there's some really, really cool parts to this fight between the two. First, I would say is just that Tasai is beating up Jubei, and Jubei is, like, getting punched, and he's coughing blood. He's getting thrown against rock, and it's, like, doing a lot of damage. So Jubei, he really is just a man. He, he's not, like, a superhero like these demons are. He's just a guy. So he has to be resourceful in the way that he's going to, you know, go about these battles. Now he does have like a sword technique that he's kind of mastered and it's not well explained. It looks like it's either like a powerful blow or he like does the attack so hard that a blade of wind shoots out or he's able to like cover, you know, a a larger amount of ground in a short, short time i can't really tell exactly what it is but he's got a technique which is helpful to him but you know he's he's just a normal guy 
Jubei, he has a string on his sword, which makes it really hard to disarm him because, you know, he can pull his sword back into him, and he often does. His sword will be kind of off to the side. The bad guy might think, oh, he doesn't have a sword anymore. I can move in for the kill. But he pulls the string, and he pulls the sword towards him, almost like he's using the force, which was a really neat mm -hmm. touch. And, you know, we've mentioned before, to size skin is rock so jubei's having a hard time doing any damage at all but he lands a blow and to size like skin starts to crumble a little bit and at first you might think it was jubei's attack but really what's happened is it's kagero's poison which is like starting to kill him from the inside out and that's kind of like ultimately what his undoing is and just his death, too, is really, really great because he throws his sword out, trying to get Jubei. Jubei is able to avoid it, land it kind of like a stunning blow. And then Tasai's weapon comes back and like cuts right into his head. And it's a mm -hmm. big, heavy weapon, so it pulls his head over. It sticks into the ground, and then his head slides all the way down the blade. Uh, man, did it ever look great. It was... Uh, Really, like, short but really sweet battle. Most of these battles yeah. are short, but there's a lot, you know, a lot happening in them. Yeah, I mean, you describing them is definitely a lot happening in them. Watching them, you know, they're able to convey all that so quickly, too, um, which I think is why this movie is only an hour and a half and moves at this, like, quick pace. I, I don't think I'm ever bored during this movie. And, yeah absolutely brutal but totally justified because he sucks <laughs> he oh yeah completely sucks yeah he's he's like the um, worst character in the movie for the shit he does yes 100 percent um but yeah his head sliding down um i think i rewound that and watched that a couple of times last it's really night. good it's really it's good it's so good <laughs> it's it's just yeah. that's really smart anime animation in my opinion you know because it could have just been he gets that sword in the head and falls over dead. But the, mm -hmm. the idea that it hits his head, it's not really like big enough to knock him over because he's such a big guy. And what happens probably is what would happen is it starts to fall forward and it pulls him forward because that's where the weight's going to go. And then it sticks in the ground and it would stick in the ground because it's, it's this giant weapon. And then it's, it just all makes a lot of sense. Like you can tell they really thought through what they wanted to do with that, with that sequence. Mm -hmm. So we meet Dakuan and he is the old man mentor trope in this movie. He is a Tokugawa spy and he follows Jubei to a hot spring where Jubei encounters the demon Benny Sato. And my goodness, is she awesome. She might be my favorite character for scene, a scene that's not yet happened. <laughs> so, oh yeah. She's my yeah. number two, uh, but she's so cool, man. She's got snake tattoos all over her body, but she can bring them to life and then they'll like bite and poison you and kill you. So fucking cool. Um, she has Jubei hypnotized, and he's about mm -hmm. to pass out, but Dakuan hits him in the arm with a throwing star, and that kind of snaps him out of it. 
and he's able to attack, but Benny Sato is able to escape. Um, and like the, the sword attack actually hits her, but she's able to leap out of her skin. Like she's able to shed her skin like a snake does. So all he hit was her skin and she's kind of like just disappeared and gone. Just like, it's so neat. It's so cool. Again, how have they not made a video game of this? This sounds like so much fun. And these seem like, like uh, Kojima bosses um, for Metal Gear Solid and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, And maybe he pulled a little bit from this movie, but I just thought that skin shedding thing was so cool. And it looked, I remember it, it freaking me out at first too, just because she, you know, it doesn't look right. (laughs) She doesn't look right at all um, until they explain what it is. And, you know, but man, again, the animation in this film, so good. It looks like he might've actually killed her. And because it's like her, it goes from flesh color to white really quick. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it almost looks like she's like this, spirit or something who's been killed and the life just quickly gets sucked out of her body but it was just her skin so it takes you a second to even figure out what's going on and Adakuan he comes in and he basically explains it he's like yeah she can shed her skin you didn't get her Um, he also tells Jubei that that throwing star he hit him in the arm with (laughs) was poison what a dick (laughs) (laughs) because he needs to manipulate him into helping him so he's like Yeah. yeah you're poison now I'll give you the antidote if you help me out so yeah, kind of a dick move. Definitely. We get a really cool flashback scene here now in the snow. Um, this is some of the animation that I was, you know, mentioning off the top that just looked so good. And you can tell it's because they were limited with what they could do. So they had to figure out a way to make it look like it's snowing. So you get this really stylized snow effect. Uh, I just thought they did a really, really good job with this. And in this scene, we learn about Gemma, who's in control of the eight demons. He used to be Jubei's leader, but Gemma ordered their clan members to kill each other to cover up this gold mine that they were mining. So Jubei had to end up killing his friends to survive. And then in revenge, he cuts off Gemma's head. But apparently Gemma is still alive. Yep. Now, basically, the remainder of this movie is Jubei, Kagero, and Dakuan making their way to the pier and continually encountering the demons who are trying to stop them. So, <laughs> yeah, yes, please. <laughs> right? That's awesome. It just means a lot of cool fights are coming up. Uh, the first one we get is with my favorite character, Shijima who uh, is like the demon of shadow and he travels in the shadows, but can shoot this metallic claw out of the shadow and stab and kill you with it. He can also make clones of himself and he can also possess people's minds. I just love this guy so much. (laughs) He's and the design too. I like um, the, like we like, how they pattern stitch pattern across his face, you know, the, um, whatever he's wearing, I, I guess I should maybe know that, but his design is so cool. I would say, I think we're flip flopped. I think, um, for favorite characters, that would be my number two. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, Cool. I love that claw. It's so cool. (laughs) We get, um, 
two scenes with both of those characters, which is cool. Some of the characters, some of the demons, you only get one scene with, but both Benny Sato and Shijima, we get two. So it is a little bit of extra character building for them. So I'm not surprised that, you know, maybe we've kind of, we're leaning more towards those guys, guys and girls. But So Shijima sneak attacks Dakuan, who's able to escape using a cool technique of his own. Yep. Uh, he kind of like, he jumps out of his clothing and then he's just kind of gone. <laughs> <laughs> and Shijima's looking around like, where'd that guy go? And the whole time he's pretty much right in front of him. He's just able to make himself look like a branch on a tree. And he, it's just like basically camouflage. Yep. So um, we're quickly going to get to why you like Benny Sato so much because Jubei wanders into her den. Yeah. And why don't you talk about this, uh, Tony? All right. Um, Jubei wanders into her den and there's, you know, uh, a lady there uh, sitting and praying and kind of says some creepy stuff to him. And he realizes, you know, this isn't good and ends up like cutting her in half. It, it's like she's filled with snakes. And then I believe if I'm not missing any steps, he looks up to see that there are a ton of snakes above him that are falling onto him. And so starts the battle, um, which is, again, really short. Just the one thing that really, really sticks out to me is that um, Kagero, right? Yeah, K Kagero, um, yeah. Kagero. She shows up to save Jubei, and she's holding a sword to um, Benny Sato's throat, and out of what I would call nature's pocket comes, <laughs> <laughs> comes a snake <laughs> and bites and bites her. Um, and that does nothing, of course, because we know uh, Kagiro uh, uh, is immune to poison. She produces poison. Yeah. And um, yeah, she ends up um, losing the battle here. But I just I thought the snake like, again, it's it surprised me, even though I knew it was coming, because I remember seeing. Uh, Benny Sato at the beginning and being like, I think something weird happens with the snake and it's not just the tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten about it, but yeah. And again, really inventive, really different. Um, it's really pushing the envelope. It, yes. And that's definitely something this movie does. Definitely. Uh, repeatedly. That's why, that's why it worked so well, I would say, because if it was just like this lone thing in a movie, it would be super weird. But we've seen stuff already in this movie that you're like whoa this is this is this movie is extreme it is you know not afraid to do some really uncomfortable things for you so this almost didn't even feel that all that uncomfortable you know the snake coming out of one of her you know places yeah and i think that's what makes it like i think this is actually one of the more tame things that that happens in the film and it's actually like a moment of levity because you're also like oh that's gonna do nothing that's that's not you know if it was someone else that it was biting yes of course you know worried but like to me it it's it's funny um and whether it's intended to be or not i i just love this scene because it just 
even though I know it's coming, it still catches me off guard. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just cool that like she has a final resort like that. Like even if you have a knife to her throat, you know, she's got a way out. It kind of reminds me of someone having like a crotch gun or, or like a boot knife or something like that. Something that's really hidden and you can use to your advantage, you know, at the last minute if you need to. So, uh, neat trick just uh tr she tried it on the wrong person so yep but uh jube and kigero they just like are asking her questions they want to get some information from her and right before she can tell them anything she gets electrocuted which is a very shocking moment you don't really know what's going on and this is basically yuri maru who we saw just briefly before with Tasai in that first battle. But this is the guy who's got this wire that he can electrocute you with. This is another like incredible character design. He's got this wire, but it's pretty much invisible. And he can wrap it around your neck without you knowing. And the wire can spread over great distances. So Benny Sato is very far away from him. Before she can give up any information, he electrocutes her because he slipped this wire around her neck. Who knows when, but some point in time. And then it's really cool that like they take the time to show the wire kind of like in different different settings, kind of on its way back to, back, sorry, back to uh, Yuri Maru. And it kind of like appears. So you're like, oh, yeah, there's the wire. And then it all turns to red and like dissolves. So he can drop this wire. It can kind of go anywhere with the person. And then once he ignites it and kills the person, it just dissolves after that. And it's, it's gone. It's just, it's a really unique and interesting form of attack that is, it's really formidable. Like he's one of the most powerful people in this movie because of this technique he has, which kind of seems a little bit dumb, but they made it really effective in the movie. Yeah, they they did. And I mean, it also has that secondary power of communication too. Cuz they show the communication earlier in the film. And then also um something that happens very briefly before this battle is is there's sort of this jealousy between um the two, uh Benny Sato and Yuri Maru where they both are very attracted to Genma. And yeah. so, like, you know that he's not upset that he had to kill her, you know, um, in that competition as well. I actually thought, like, that was pretty forward um, for the time um, as well. Yes, exactly. Uh, so um, having that representation there and it not being, like, stigmatized either. It was just, yeah, he's attracted to men. Yep, and, that's a good and, point. And the bad guy is attracted to both is so... Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a great point, actually. They didn't, it wasn't stigmatized at all in the movie. It was just, they laid it out there and that was just part of the film. Yep. So uh, the three here, Jubei, Kagero, and Dakuan, they encounter Mushizo, who is in control of wasps. And he has their hive on his back. Now, this guy creeped me out. Dude, I this is probably out of all <laughs> out of all the visuals in this movie that might disturb you. 
this oddly is what disturbed me the most was seeing him kind of like pull the cloth off his back and his back is actually like like a giant like wasp nest with like all the holes and the wasp would fly they'd fly into it Wah! i hated it man and, i hated it and it's like a hump too it's not like, like just a, like a hunchback it, yeah it's not just like if we like because for me if i like pulled off my shirt and i had holes for wasps it wouldn't look I mean, it would look weird, but it's different <laughs> when Tony it would look very, very weird. <laughs> yeah, it would look very weird. I'm not making a good point here. Thing is, this guy was uh, fuck ugly. Yeah. So <laughs> it scared me. It scared me. I don't I don't like it at all. I don't even, I don't even want to talk about it. You talk about this part because I don't even want to talk about it. Oh, man. OK, so they uh, are fighting him. And eventually, I mean, the thing that really sticks out to me is as they're fighting and as they're losing because um uh he sent out thousands of wasps uh Kagiro is using like a poison that she's emitting you know from like wind or I don't they don't really explain but there's a lot of petals yeah she put like flower petals out so yeah. she was trying to attract them so that they would pollinate the flowers but then she was mm -hmm. poisoning them at the same time so they were kind of like right. taking the poison and getting killed, which was cool, but there were far too many of them and she couldn't she couldn't keep up with it. Right. So with that distraction, Jubei is, you know, trying to kill um shoot, uh his name Mu Mushizo. Mushizo. They're fighting and the thing that really sticks out to me is the throat dart. That, that was happens. awesome. That was something I've never seen before. I don't think I've seen since. I think it's something you could really only do in animation. Yeah. I would hope you'd really only do an animation. Um, I hope it's not a real life thing. But that was so cool because, like, I would not see that coming. I think that um, is just, I mean, he ends up blocking it. Uh, they end up going into the water and then, you know, from what I understand, wasps don't really like being drowned in water. And he ends up having this horrible, bloody death underwater where he's just, the wasps are stinging and trying to escape. And you just see this mass of red and uh, couldn't have happened to a better person. So, yeah. So th there's a couple, you know, cool things. Obviously, you know, Jubei getting... Mushizo under the water, you know, so that the wasps will attack him. I think that's really neat. And it's just more of Jubei using his surroundings and his settings and using what's available to him to defeat these, like, these super ninjas. He has to use the elements. He has to use whatever he can. And he knew, I guess he knew that, like, wasps don't like the water. So he threw that guy in there and they, they were in, it was the ones that were still stuck in the hive that were stinging mm -hmm. him to try to get out of the hive because they were being drowned. So that's a cool idea and it makes sense. And yep. that throat dart, we'll just talk about that for a sec. So like we've seen mouth darts and blow darts, like someone can have something small in their mouth and spit it out at somebody in a ninja movie. This thing was like eight inches long. Like, where is he even hiding? He's hiding this. It's not in his mouth. It really is a throat dart. It would be down his throat. Like, <laughs> it was so big. And just to see him spit something so large out, 
again, it was just disturbing, you know, to see this character doing that. He's just a disgusting, disgusting character, but, but cool stuff going on. When it's revealed that he has the wasps in his hump back, like the, the clang too. Cause I don't think it, the sword doesn't penetrate that if I'm remembering correctly, like it's that mm. hard, that rough, just so gross. And I, I remember wondering when, when first watching this, I don't know how he's going to beat this guy. Like wasps are terrible. They're, there's no reason for them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're jerks, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, it was, it was very resourceful of Jubei um, to to have them in the water because, um, yeah, they just don't like it there. So, Yeah, so next up is Mujuro, and he is a blind swordmaster with superhuman hearing. Now, what stuck out for me most about this fight is actually the location because they were fighting in a bamboo forest. And I love hitting the forest in these ninja movies, but the bamboo forest, that is my favorite. And it is rare, and we got it here. We got Mm -hmm. the bamboo forest. I'm just like, I'm so happy to see it. And this is a really good fight as well, because, again, Jubei's going to be resourceful, so he realizes this guy's um, blind, but has the good hearing, So he cuts down a bunch of trees and he tries to mask the sound of his movement with the falling trees. But Mujuro's senses are so acute that that doesn't even work. And then Mujuro could also, I don't know if he could like light his sword up really bright or if it was just so shiny that he could reflect the sun like at a really amplified magnitude. But he basically uses his sword to like blind his enemies. So, which is, again, cool character design because he's mm-hmm. blind. So it wouldn't matter like what kind of blast of light he emits from his sword. It's going to have zero effect to him and really affect the people that he's like trying to affect. So very cool. But uh, Mujuro is about to land a killing blow on Jubei. Like everything Jubei's tried has failed. Mujuro, Mujuro is just like a step ahead. But Kagero is able to throw her sword through a bamboo tree, and that blocks his attack down on Jubei, giving Jubei a second to land a killing blow of his own. So that one was a bit hard to kind of follow and figure out what exactly happened. I had to rewind to see how they killed him and why his blow didn't land. And they don't even really show his blow hitting Kagero's sword, but I think that's the only thing that could have occurred. Yeah, I'm glad you explained it because I didn't understand, but I just went with it because it's a bamboo forest sword fight. And again, just like you, it's iconic. Uh, one of my favorites. I, I want it in more ninja and samurai movies. It doesn't matter. I want them in more movies because they're so cool. And I love the way that they're running, like that they show the running in the same direction oh, facing I love that. each other. Yep. It's so cool. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I didn't understand the ending. I knew that what I took away from it was, oh, somehow 
that sword got stuck in the tree, blocked the blow, but I didn't understand that it was thrown. I, I didn't I didn't I didn't see what happened. So I'm glad you explained it. I'll have to go back when I watch uh, the subbed version and see if I can spot it and maybe rewind until I spot it. <laughs> so I'm not sure why they did it that way, because it, I'm sure they could have just showed us what happened. But I think they decided I not mean, to. Maybe it's kind of they were going for that, you know, the two um, samurai or ninja in a field doing like the iconic jump, the one sword rip and one of them falls sort of deal. They were kind of going for that, but a new a new spin on it, if if you will, because, um, yeah, I I'll have to rewatch that again and see if I can catch it. I'm sure. I'm I'm sure I just wasn't doing my due diligence, um, just being caught up in in oh cool, the bamboo uh forest fight, you know. Yeah. So maybe they were trying to like show it from Mujuro's perspective. Like maybe maybe the sound of the sword blocking his attack like startled him because he was probably wasn't expecting to hear that sound. Maybe that's what froze him. That could be I, it. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? It's cool. It's cool. That's a better take than mine. No, no, yours is better than mine. It's 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 <laughs> no. cool. It's cool. The fight's cool as all shit. That's all everybody needs to know. It's an yep. awesome, awesome fucking fight. One of the best. Yes. So you know we haven't talked much about it, but the movie is slowly building this Kagero and Jubei relationship, and mm-hmm. it's fun because they're kind of at odds with each other. Like you can tell. They're being a bit flirty, but also neither of them have time for that. And like, especially Kigero, she's obviously going to be trying to keep people at distance, right? Because she can't get close to anybody. If she gets close to somebody, she's going to kill them. So, you know, they they do throw this relationship in, but it's very, very subtle. There's not too much to it, but there's just enough to make their characters a little bit more interesting and have this fun dynamic between the two as they're traveling. Mm-hmm. Now, Shijima is back. My guy. My, my main dude here. He makes 20 of himself. They're just all out there. Which, which one to go after? Uh, this is great. Jubei is not fooled. He takes a hack at three of them. And like lands on the real one and cuts his leg off. And yeah, should the knee. Yeah, yeah, at the knee. Shijima hops away comically fast. I laugh every time as he just like blasts away on one leg into the distance. It's very funny. It didn't it didn't stop him for a second. It's un <laughs> I don't know about you, but if I lost uh from my leg from the <laughs> knee below I, I don't even think I'd be hopping anywhere uh, no. ever again. I'd be on the ground, screaming in pain. Yeah. Uh, Jubei goes to follow. And great tactic here by Shijima, where he wounds a dog. And Jubei is fooled into following the trail of the dog's blood. So he uses that to throw Jubei off his trail. Then Jubei finds this dead dog at the end of the blood trail and he's like oh shit i've been following the wrong trail very smart that allowed shijima to circle back and grab kigero Mm -hmm. which is just awesome that's like so it's so fucking cool with one leg he goes back and he grabs her 
Jubei is able to track Shijima down to a house and the art style completely changes here. Well, I shouldn't say the art style, but the colors completely change here. It is just all red and black inside this house and it looks amazing. It truly does. Kagero is under Shijima's control because he can mind control people and Jubei comes in and Kagero starts attacking him. So that was fun. You know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. they're starting to kind of, you know, flirt and get to like each other. And now she's like trying to kill him. It was a neat, neat touch. But uh, Shijima's in the, he's in the shadow. A claw comes flying out and it grabs Jubei's sword so that he can't attack. But instead of letting go of the sword, he actually like forcefully throws it towards Shijima. And the blade goes in, it hits him, and it uh, he like falls out of the shadow dead. So, not like the greatest death for uh, my favorite character here, but I understand it. And again, it's like it's Jubei being resourceful. It's like, if this guy's pulling so hard at my sword, he's probably just expecting to be able to pull it out of my hand. But if I instead turn it on him and throw it as hard as I can, he probably won't be able to block it. So that's what he does mm-hmm. and it lands and it kills him. So it's okay, but I don't know. Maybe he would have preferred his head getting popped off or something, something more more definitive. Yeah. I mean, I did appreciate though how it was like he was in the shadow when the sword got stuck in and then he slides out of the shadow. And I kind of think that that's maybe what they planned from the beginning, like we want this guy to get, you know, popped in the shadow, <laughs> essentially. Um, because it's a really cool visual uh as he dies. Um That's but true. yeah, I would say it is still a little lackluster compared to the other pretty epic deaths that we get um throughout this film. So and I think he deserved a little better. Um yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I completely agree with you. Like the the death in the shadow is a great call. Um, maybe incorporate like his own claw into it might have been a bit better. Like if maybe Jubei could have deflected a claw attack or something and redirected it towards Shijima and he gets killed with his claw. I don't know. Sword in the head maybe instead of the chest. I don't know. The, the movie just has like a he, the movie has me worked up for a bloodlust. So I'm just like give yeah. <laughs> this, this, no, this kill yeah. was too tame. You must kill my favorite Same. character in a far more aggressive manner. <laughs> yes, it needs to be. It needs to be epic, you know, like the rest of the film. And this is this is definitely one of those kills that I still think, like, you know, coming the slide, the slinking out of the shadow and just falling dead um, is really great. But yeah. I just feel that there could have been a little bit more to it than the sword in the back or whatnot. Yeah, it's yeah. So Jubei is uh, showing the effects of the poison. You know, he's like coughing up blood and he's crouched over, you know. And Kagero tells him that Dakuan said the cure is to fight poison with poison and that she'll sleep with him to counter the effects. But Jubei turns her down. So uh, I like this moment and I like it even more when we get to the ending. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can explain more why at that time. But they move forward to the pier 
where the gold is being loaded onto Gemma's ship. So Jubei's plan is to let the gold be loaded onto the ship. Then once it's out deep in the water, they're going to sink the ship so that the gold will sink to the bottom and be lost forever. So that's a, I think that's a good plan. Great plan. Kagero's clan leader shows up to help out with a bunch of men, but it's a trick and it's Gemma. He like formed his face into the face of the leader and he lands a fatal blow on Kagero. This caught me off guard this time. I completely forgot that that happened and I was pretty upset by it, quite honestly, because I liked like you would you'd commented they're little interactions. It wasn't this like huge overt. These two are in love, but just like the playful interactions that they had. Um, and then it's like all gone immediately. Yes. It was also a pretty dire situation. Like, yeah, they're going through the demons, you know, they're, they're beating them so far, but there's Gemma and two demons left. And they have a, like a ton of ninja. So seeing the leader kind of roll up on horseback with a small army behind him, it sort of felt like maybe it was evening the odds and maybe mm-hmm. they'll have a better chance at this battle. And then it turns out it's just Gamma and his own men. And he's just using this moment to kill Kagero. So it was kind of startling because not only are you losing Kagero, this character that we really like, but you also think it, this might be a bit of a turning point and it's not at all. And does he say in uh, the subversion, I killed him two days ago or something like that as well? Yes. Um, and is that implying that he was, that that was Genma the entire time we saw that character on the screen or um... did more time pass? Um, cause that was something I was confused about. I'm not sure about that. I'm not really sure about the timeline in this movie. So I'm not sure the last time that anybody talked to that clan leader. Um, not, I'm not sure if that ever gets explained in the movie. So seeing Kagero get a sword through her chest absolutely sets off Jubei and he is slicing the shit out of Ninja this is a great scene. There's blood flying everywhere. Every guy he cuts, there's just a fountain of blood coming out of them. Uh, there's great ninja action as well as like the ninjas are kind of like running away and they're leaping from rooftop to rooftop and they're running at high speeds through the alley. I just, I love when they show us ninja moving like ninja, you know, like they truly move. Yeah. It's really cool. So, Jubei has made his way on the ship and he meets up with Yuri Maru, the wire master, who gets a wire around Jubei's head. It's like impossible not to get wired by this guy. Yeah. And he starts electrocuting him. But at the last second, we see a small mouse run into the room. Yuri Maru freaks out and immediately stops. But you can see that the mouse has sort of started to heat up and has warmed up enough that it lights on fire from his electricity and it blows up the room. Now, Jubei was able to jump out into the water, but Yurimaru is killed. And this is a great twist to the movie. 
Yuri Maru is like this super, super tough DM. He's like, he's the number two guy. He's so powerful and he gets blown up here and we don't even really know what happened until they show us that there's another demon, Zakuro, and we've seen her a few times in the movie. She has the power to control gunpowder and she can put it into like living or non-living bodies and then ignite it. And she, you know, is very much attracted to Yuri Maru, who's not attracted to her. And he like refuses her advances in a very aggressive and rude way. Right. So he's, yeah. he's not tactful about it. He's just like, whatever. I would never, you know, want to be with someone like you. He, I think he gets like aggressive with her as well, pushing her away and stuff like that. So this is her getting her revenge on him, rejecting her, and she kills him. We we wanted the tides turned with Kagero's like leader in the clan coming, and you're hopeful in that moment. That gets like ripped away from you. Now, this is a moment where we're thinking, oh, this is terrible. Things are not going well. And it's flipped. It's like the other side mm -hmm. now cuts down one of their own. And it's like, you're like, oh, I think they might be able to pull this off now. Now that this happened, it's, man, it was a great twist in the movie. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it's great too how they put in these little like a little love triangle within the demons. Yeah. Um, agreed. And it just it made them feel more human for their superhuman powers and it makes them sus susceptible, you know? I mean, this is this is something that saves Jubei and makes it so ultimately we get a awesome ending, but we'll get to that. But I mean, it's just, I love that they put in these little human moments of jealousy and lust and whatnot for, for each other within these uh, demons. So, yeah. That's a great point. I actually never considered like how they humanize the demons in this movie, but that's the way they do it. It's kind of like through love and lust and that that grounds them in humanity and it ends up causing them a lot of trouble in the movie it's it's yeah. it's it's interesting it's a neat thing to throw in there so jubei is back with kagero as she's dying she tells him that she likes him and he kisses her getting her poison to counter his own so this is why I liked him rejecting sleeping with her before, but kissing her here because he, he, I don't think he really cares all that much about the poison. So he didn't sleep with her because he didn't want to sleep with her. I think he kisses her here because he wants to kiss her. I don't think it has anything to do with the poison. I think he's finally like just attracted to her enough that he wants to kiss her and he does. And, you know, so be it that her poison counteracts his. That's not the point. So that's why I really liked him rejecting her before and kissing her here. Yeah. And I also saw it, too, when she was offering herself up. To me, that's not how I would want to be propositioned. Like, oh, no, this is the only way I can save you. And this is the only reason I'm doing this, <laughs> you know, like there was just something where like, I think uh, Jubei is very honorable and I think he didn't want to do it. And part of why he didn't want to do it 
is because it didn't really seem like she wanted to. Like, she was still playing tit for tat, I owe you because you saved my life. And that isn't love. You know, love isn't, you know, do a thing for me and I do a thing for you, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's... um, I think that's actually really awesome that that move that this movie drives that point home with how they handle the poison that could kill Jubei. So that's at least my read on it. Um, and I think they did a great job with it. And yeah, uh, makes me like Jubei even more. So, yep. Yep, definitely. So Jubei gives her a bit of like a funeral here. He uh, puts her on a small like boat coffin and sends her out into the the water, uh, off into the distance. He takes her headband and he straps it onto his his own head. It's now his headband. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dakuan and Jubei are able to douse Zakuro, the uh, like the explosion demon in gas, and they light her on fire. And there's obviously a very huge explosion from that which works out perfectly in causing We're sinking a boat. Yeah, causing the <laughs> boat to sink. <laughs> they've got a giant boat, giant wooden boat. Now they've got a giant explosion that ignites it and the ship starts to sink. And we find ourselves in the hold of the ship. Everything is on fire. More great animation. The fire animation is incredible. Everything looks so great. And Jubei and Gemma go at it here. So, Tony, what did you think of this, like, climactic fight between these two? We've been kind of heading here the whole time. Uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Amazing fight. I mean, the thing that sticks out to me is when he's beating him with the headband, yeah, so headbutting great. him, yeah. and just crushing his skull. <laughs> and even though we know... I think as an audience that, you know, and I mean, I think Jubei knows like there really is no killing him. Um, but I, I forgot and like, yeah, he's dead. Walk away, get away. And his head like re pops out. Just they reforms. got this cool animation yeah. and yeah, it's just, oh, it's such a cool battle. And like the, the first indication that things aren't going to go right, and I'm sorry, I just did this out of order, is him cutting off the arm. And I remember thinking, like, yeah, you're screwed now. You have you well, have one less arm. It was a cool moment, too, because that's where he uses his sword on a string technique, right? Because we've seen him yes. use that in the movie before, and it works every time. And here he uses it to get his sword back and cut Gemma's arm off. And I, I'm with you. That's where, where we're thinking, yes, he's cut his arm off. You know, Gemma's other arm's metallic, so he must have lost that somewhere. And, like, if you cut this other arm off, that's got to be a good thing. But, no, Gemma just puts it right back on, and everything's cool <laughs> yeah. again. He doesn't even care. He doesn't care about anything. He doesn't care about getting his yeah. face smashed in. Um, Kagero's headband has, like, a rock in it, which is why I think that worked well, because he's, like, headbutting mm-hmm. him with the rock of Kagero. So cool. And yeah, the the headband with the rock on it and the caving in, I just, ugh, it was brutal. Absolutely brutal fight. Yeah, even after that, he cuts Gemma in half vertically. At the head, yeah. And that also does not bother Gemma at all. He's just like, 
don't you understand that like I can't be killed this way? Something about the sound effects too in this movie and some of the visuals, like when he cuts him down the middle of the head and he falls down and it kind of like slinks, <laughs> like the part sort of slinks out. Yeah. That's burned into my brain too. Gross, but awesome at the same time. Yeah. I'm glad it's a cartoon, honestly. I don't know if I could handle that if it wasn't a cartoon. This movie so. would have an X rating if it was a live action. Yes, 100%. But they have a real smart solution for how to get rid of Gemma. You know, it's I, I really like it. It's the fire. It gets so hot, it starts melting the gold. The gold becomes liquid. It, like, covers Gemma's body. And he sinks to the bottom of the water, just with, with all the other gold bars that have already sunk, and then the rest of the liquid gold that's going down there. It's just too heavy for him. And that's how you beat him. I liked it. Yeah. And so do you think he's, because he can't die. He's just stuck in gold for eternity. He's stuck. So if you could fish him out, uh, you could like, I believe you could melt that gold back down. So in the time period that this movie takes place, I really think there's no possible way for them to get down to the bottom of an ocean. But that could be a fun sequel is when technology gets to the point where they can search the bottom of the ocean and they find his body, they pull it out, they melt the gold, and he's still alive. I think it would have to be past even now because from what I recollect, we can't get to the bottom of the ocean sometimes either. Yeah, it depends where, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Yeah. <laughs> But I think, yeah, he's, he's, let's just say he's still down there today. Yeah. Conscious or unconscious? That's, that's, that's oh, my. interesting. I think conscious. Yeah. I think conscious. Yeah. I hope he's conscious. Yeah, I he's think a, so. He's a bastard. Yeah. Def- so. Definitely conscious. <laughs> so Dakuan finds Jubei and tells him he's pleased with how his plan went down. This fucking Dakuan guy is just manipulating everybody the whole way. Jubei cuts his pocket and a gold bar falls out into the water. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> Which is a really great touch. <laughs> yeah, Dakuan was going to try to make off with a small fortune and uh, Jubei's like, nope, you don't deserve that. Then we see Jubei walking off into a sandstorm with Kagero's headband tied around his sword and the end. Awesome. So... What we like to do around here with these ninja movies is we rate them, Tony. So we are going to go ahead and rate this movie. We're going we're gonna to throw it through the talking back ninja rating grinder and see how it does. And even though Dean's not here, he was able to provide his comments and score for each of the categories. So we will be able to include his thoughts. Yes. So, Tony, I'm going to let you go first in each category, and then I will read comments from Dean, and then I'll share my thoughts. So, why don't you go ahead and give us your comments and um, score for weapons and tools? Okay, so for this one, I definitely gave a 10. 
Um, now, I don't really see Jubei as a ninja. I don't think he's portrayed as being one, um, but he definitely went up against what I would call ninja in this film. And they used a variety of instruments to kill their victims. I absolutely have to give it to the wasp dude uh, with the throat dart. I mean, that's something <laughs> I've never seen before. So, And it's so cool. And I mean, the stuff that I can remember is throat dart, poisons, wires, swords, daggers, giant metal sword, boomerangs, wasps, claws, tattoo snakes, actual snakes, nature pocket snakes, um, and then hiding and disappearing in shadows. Um, so, yeah, I, I give this a solid 10. Okay. Dean says everything I could want out of weapons. It has regular weapons like swords, daggers, throwing stars, darts, but it also has a bunch of new cool shit like poison kiss, retractable claw, helicopter blade, electricity powers, and it even has animals used as weapons like snakes and bees. So he's definitely on the same page as you there. He says tools I don't remember much. But I know there were some good ones like the older ninja's staff that increased in size so he could jump uh, so he could jump into the trees. Great category. Dean gives it a 10 out of 10. Yeah, that um, Dakuan staff is something that we didn't really talk about. He only uses it one time, but he does use it in that defensive moment where he needs to quickly escape out of his clothing and then pretend to be a branch on a tree. So that is a great tool. It's... It reminds me of Dragon Ball uh, when little Goku has has that staff or the pole. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you ever watched that, but he used that a lot and in, in not in the original, you know, Dragon Ball uh, show. So, yeah, I haven't seen that. So they have the basics, you know, swords, spears, throwing stars, metal darts. Um, I, I'm with you. <laughs> the throat dart. Incredible. You've got all the demons weapons. Those are all so fucking awesome. And I would say things that we've never seen before, that guy's wooden suit that he was inside. He was pretending to be a larger human being. And, you know, he had that hand. He'd hold his hand up and a, it could fire a bullet out of the palm. Very cool. Also, something we hadn't seen before, Zakuro's gunpowder ability. Just a really, really neat idea. Easy 10 for me. So t 10s across the board here. Now, Tony, what have you got for tactics? I forgot to read the breakdown of the first one, but I'll read the breakdown for the second one. So tactics, are they being ninja? Are they using stealth? Is there infiltration? Are they burning castles down or stealing documents? Are they trying to assassinate someone? Are they camouflaging themselves in trees? Are they hiding in plain sight? So Tony, what have, what have you got for tactics? Okay, so I, I didn't want to give tens all the way down unless you guys gave tens all the way down. And so I'm going first. So I may change my do you numbers. Want, do you want us to go on... first then? Do you want me to do D um, to me? Yeah. Let me cheat. Uh, Cause That's I, fine. I wasn't sure. I, I'm afraid that I'm sometimes when I like something a little too biased. No, you know we'll what? You know what? No, no. 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. Just, you know you what? Know? Do what you think is right. That's what that's what, that's okay. what this is about because I don't I don't want to influence you with our scores. This is just about what you think is appropriate for you. We don't have to all match. Just how how are you feeling about this category? And let's just let's do that. Okay, yeah, that works. Um, so what I wrote up was I I gave it a seven 
originally because I was trying to be a little rigid. Um, and, and I will say there is a touch of like, I do feel like some tactics were missing, even though I know each person was individual. There were a lot of different things going on, but I guess I was maybe focusing on like, you know, what they were doing. I think the plot of the film is really good, but I would say it's almost not a complete what feels like a ninja plot. It's just to get gold, like, which is fine. And I understand they're going to use that for nefarious deeds and that's a mission. But I don't know, I guess reading the description, it made me think like, you know, sneaking into castles, burning down things, um, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe multiple big missions, but again, I could be being too hard. I could easily give it a 10 as well. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with my original scores that I wrote up, even if they end up being a little low or don't match. If you guys give all tens, um, just know in my heart that I do agree with that, but I'm trying to be more discerning. Um, I would also say, you know, one of the reasons too, maybe I give it a seven and it's not a detriment, but, but Jubei is not a ninja at all like he's got one trick it's super cool but i wouldn't even say that's necessarily a ninja trick that is a trick to survive i would think for being disarmed you know um so yeah i give it a i give it a seven okay so. cool um just know that we have dean and i have changed our scores in the past depending on a conversation so if we say something that you think you're like, Hey, you know what? Actually I may have missed that or whatever. You can feel free to change your score at, at any point. Oh, for sure. Cause at the end of what I wrote up, which I didn't read at all, but I put, um, though I could be convinced to raise my number. Okay, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Cause, so, cause I've heard you guys change your scores. <laughs> okay. So let's see if there's any convincing to happen here. Okay. So Dean says again, great category. This movie has it all literally hiding in the shadows, hiding in plain sight, disguised as a tree branch, shedding skin like a snake to escape a situation, stealing gold, being hired as assassins, infiltrating, using birds to transmit messages. That's a good take right there. Uh, taking a fight into the trees for cover against a blind ninja. Yes, great, great scene. Even the old ninja using manipulation to get two younger ninjas to carry out his mission. Dean gives it a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Uh, fuck it. I'm going to change mine to 10. Well, you haven't heard mine yet. Maybe I'm like a two. Oh yeah, that's true. Let me be fair. Let me be fair. Okay. <laughs> I forgot about the owls. <laughs> yeah. And so did I, uh, that's a great breakdown by Dean. So I would say there's many like cool tactics in this movie. I can't even list them all. So what I'm going to do is just throw out a few of my favorites. Shijima hiding in the actual shadow and how he used a dog as a second blood trail to throw off Jubei. Oh, yeah. Incredible tactic. Tattoos that come alive. Amazing tactic. Dakuan poisoning Jubei to force him into working with him. Great manipulation. And something I think that's overlooked is Dakuan using Jubei and Kagero as a smokescreen for himself so he can travel relatively unseen to try to like learn exactly what's going down. And then the last thing I would say, it's not really touched on much. It's just like a throwaway comment in the movie. 
But I like that Gemma actually turned on the people who hired him, which is brand new for a ninja movie, because normally the ninja, if you hire them, you own them. They will do whatever you ask for. And this was an instance of Gemma being like hired. And then he's like, no, I'm going to go against the people hiring me. So for me, this was another easy 10 out of 10, uh, 10 out of 10. Yeah, I think I think I'm going to change mine. I think I was just afraid of what my score total could end up being. That's fine. <laughs> and being too generous. So, yeah, I will I will up mine um, to 10. Uh, I forgot about the dog. That tactic is actually pretty amazing. Yeah, um, it really so, is. yeah. So um, let it be known that I've been convinced. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tactics 10. Much fear I sense in you, Tony. <laughs> yeah. Fear, fear. fear leads to anger. <laughs> that was last year. <laughs> oh, that shit. was last year's year of the <laughs> shit. Shit. I'm getting my years mixed up. <laughs> okay. Um, up next, we have fighting and kills. So what the what do the fight scenes look like? Are they well choreographed? How cool are the moves? Are limbs being lost? Are heads popping off? Do we like the kills? Do they get a reaction out of us? So, Tony, I don't want to force you to go first anymore. That might be unfair. Uh, why don't we mix it up a bit? Um, how about I go first here? Okay. So, fights with Super Ninja. Oh, I like that. Uh, limbs being ripped off. Heads are popping off. Bodies are cut in half. All of the fights they gave us were exciting and well animated. I was like always excited to get to the next fight. I just wanted it to happen. My one beef with this category is that the fights were all really quick. Now, I understand that that helped keep the runtime down, but I really would have liked to have seen a couple longer fight sequences, just extend one or two of them a little bit. Um, I also wanted to see a little bit more out of Dakuan because he seems like this really powerful character, but he's only really in one altercation and it's just him avoiding the fight. So I really, you know, I would really hope for a good battle with him. You know, maybe he can help out near the ending or something like that. If you want to keep his powers secret, whatever. Um, still a really great category for me. Uh, I'm giving it an eight. So let me see what Dean says here. Kills were so awesome. Heads popping off, arms popping off, arms being physically ripped off. Kills by fire, electrocution, sword, poison, bees, and brute force. Dean gives it a 10 out of 10. What do you got, Tony? For me, I gave it... Well, I guess I'll, I'll say first. I think the kills in this movie were brilliant and expertly animated, especially for the time being 1993. This was definitely adult uh, film, uh, though very graphic. Head being run down a sword, wasps stinging a guy from the inside out as he drowns, limbs being lost, um, sprays of blood and gu blood gushing about. Um, I really do think the kills were satisfying. I did give it a nine and honestly, I'm giving it a nine in honor of, and this is why it's missing a point. 
in honor of the one kill that just wasn't that satisfying for my second favorite character getting a sword in the back while he's in the shadow. Yeah. Um, if they would have, I will say this, if that would have been a different kill, I think this would be a 10 for me, but I, I am holding it against holding it against the film. Um, so it's, it's a nine for me there. Yep. Fair enough. All right. Settings and locations. What's the aesthetic of the movie? We love seeing fights in fields and forests, deserts, and in water. I'm going to head to Dean first. This took place in different types of forests, cliffs, caves. It has a scene on the water, in the water, on a boat, in a dojo, in a field, on a bridge. The environments were also used to the ninja's advantage or disadvantage. Fights in trees happening up high in the trees. Fights on a cliff involve the danger of falling off the cliff. It checks all the boxes for me in settings and locations. Dean gives it a 10 out of 10. Do you want to go Tony or would you like me to go with the settings? I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm now less afraid. I'm more okay. comfortable. Okay, I, you go ahead I can then. definitely go. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I think they had a great variety of scenery throughout the film. Uh, they set it in the Edo period. That was a great choice. I think, um, standout scenes for me. I mean, even at the beginning, the ninjas jumping through the trees, that fast movement, um, the bamboo, um, field or the bamboo forest scene. And then honestly, that, um, red and black scene was, um, beautiful. And then one of my favorite scenes, obviously being, in the temple with the hidden snake. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I I just give this a 10. I, I feel like there was a great variety, pretty much every location that you would want. Um, it They were used, uh, just like Dean said, uh, to the advantage of the ninja. I think they were very creative. Um, so yeah, uh, 10 for me. Right on. Uh, yeah, obviously another really good category. We get the cliff by the water that we always love so much. They have the traditional Japanese buildings, different types of forests. I love the bamboo forest. Bonus marks for that. We spend a little bit of time underwater. We're on the sides of mountains. We're on a boat. There was the scene in the snow. They obviously utilize the locations really well with rocks being smashed, trees being cut down, fires causing damage. I wanted to go to a couple more locations. It just needed a little bit more for me visually, just something like I needed a stark visual change and that would have got a perfect score out of me. Um, but something was just missing and I'm going eight on this one. Totally fair. So... I'll go first for fun factor. Did we have fun with the movie? Would we watch it again? Would we buy the Blu-ray? Did it go fast or was it a slow drag? So this movie's really well paced. I will watch it again. I bought it on DVD because the Blu-ray wasn't available. If it becomes available, I'm going to buy it on Blu-ray because I'd love to see this on Blu-ray. It can be a bit hard to follow at times, though. This movie, it feels like you're being dropped in the middle of something and you should already have information about what's going on, but you don't. And that's not a big deal, you know, because it just gives you that rewatchability where you're able to pay attention to other things when you come back to it. 
And the story's all there, you know, it's just a little bit hard to pick up on. But for that reason, it's not a perfect, you know, fun factor for me. Uh, this category, I also have an eight. So, uh, Tony, let's go to you and then we'll go to Dean. Okay. So, as I said, this is one of the first anime films that I ever bought on DVD at probably too young of an age for the content that was held within. Um, there definitely is nostalgia at play for me. Um, but one of the things I could really do without in this movie is the repeated like essay of Kagero. Um, outside of that, I think the movie is really great fun, amazing battles and ninja action, um, beautifully animated. But for me, the fun factor is seven. I, like this is a movie that I will rewatch and again, um, but I also can't just show it to anyone either <laughs> without right. some without some severe warnings. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a seven for me. OK, cool. Dean says, really great movie. I enjoyed it a lot. The only thing holding me back from a higher score is that it felt like a pretty heavy movie that I'm not sure would draw me back to watching it right away, but I would definitely recommend it a great time. And Dean has an eight. So my total is 44. Dean's total is 48. He loved it. Tony, you're at a 46. For a combined total of 138, now let me run this through the computer here to get it down to out of 100, and this movie sits at 92, mm. which is a tremendous score. That's going to put it at the new number three. So at number one, we have Duel to the Death with 100. At number two, Shinobi Heart Under Blade with 96. Number three, Ninja Scroll. At number four, Mark of the Ninja at 84. That was a Patreon exclusive. At number five, Batman Ninja. At number six, oh, sorry, Batman Ninja at 83. At number six, Ninja with 78. At number seven, Ninja Terminator with 77. At number eight, there's a tie. We have Jack versus the Ninja and TMNT The Real World Part 1 at 74. Those were both Patreon exclusives. At nine, we have Ninja 3 The Domination at 66. Ten, Beverly Hills Ninja with 56. And Forever in the Toilet at 11. American Ninja 2 The Confrontation at 43. <laughs> hey, Tony, have you seen American Ninja 2 The Confrontation? No, I have not. <laughs> you got to check it out. <laughs> yeah, I. It's, it's something I know I need to watch. It's actually a fun watch. <laughs> Didn't rate so well in our Ninja ratings, but it's a fun watch. Right. All right, right on, Tony. Um, thank you again so much for joining. This has been a great time. Um, please tell everybody listening about your podcast, uh, a podcast I love listening to. Um, yeah, let us know a little bit about it and where people can find you. Yeah, um, pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts, Remote Takes, uh, Jeremy and myself uh, discuss a current movie and then a past favorite and yeah, we have uh, 
pretty conflicting views at times. I think we like different things um, from movies, and I think we bring interesting insight to one another at times. And then sometimes our episodes are um, just trash. No, um, but no, yeah, it's it, that never it's, happens. it's it's a fun time, uh, and yeah, you can. Listen to us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so, yeah, remote takes. Check them out, everybody. Great podcast. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Everybody listening, if you'd like to help support us here at Talking Back, you know, please just tell your friend about an episode, shoot them a message on their phone, send a random episode, or you could uh, sign up to be a patron member you know we've got uh, some great episodes over there you can get our monthly wrap up for a couple bucks you can throw even a, a couple more bucks in and get uh, you know a couple extra regular episodes over there so uh lots of fun over there we, we love the stuff we do on patreon we have a lot of fun so check that out and now that this episode's over don't worry Head on over to bfopnetwork.com and check out one of the other amazing nostalgia-based podcasts in our network. We promise you'll find something you like, or Dean will rip someone's arms off and drink the blood. That's why he's sick. <laughs> <laughs> he's not here to defend himself, but he would say that he would do it. So, Tony, thank you once again for joining Thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach, and we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get.